You're listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. It's such a beautiful job that they're doing uh, with that series. Um, the gospel passage today came from John chapter 5, and it tells that story of the man by the sheep gate who was um, paralyzed. And Jesus comes, and his disciples are with him. Uh, you know, when they walked, when they walked in there, uh, they said, this is it. This is what we've come for. This is just like an oversized uh, mikvah, which is a, a pool that uh, they would baptize themselves in, kind of cleansing themselves before they went into the temple. So this, this pool was just north of the, the Temple Mount, and it was an easy walk. Um, it still is today. Um, there's a beautiful church there, uh, St. Anne's, named for Mary's mother, and people still go. Um, the water's no longer there, but they still go to kind of commemorate that place. And, and so we find, we find Jesus, and he finds this man. And it's interesting how the story goes. Like, Jesus never tells him who he is. Like, that's, that's part of the story from the gospel. The man who was healed doesn't know who has healed him, so much so that he simply refers to him as the man who made me well. And that's, that's the kind of the totality of, of their knowledge or his knowledge of him. But then, you know, Jesus is asking him, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made whole? But he doesn't really answer that question. I mean... It sounds like one of my children, right? I'll ask them a question and they'll answer a different question. <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't ask you that, right? Just answer what I'm asking you. It's difficult for us sometimes. Sometimes we are like children and we miss the point. Jesus is asking him, do you want to be made well? And he's like, well, I have no one to put me in the water. There's no one to help me get down into the water. So we're not exactly sure what the water could do. Um, there were in that area, um, kind of natural hot springs that would at times kind of bubble up like a sauna or a hot tub. And um, when that would happen, not unlike today, uh, people with different ailments would kind of get down into the water. It would be like getting down into like mineral water or a hot tub. It would have felt good. It would have made them feel better. But it was often a crowded place. And when, when the water would bubble up, the folks who could get down in the water would get down in the water. And I think that's what the man's complaining about. He's like, I try to get down there that people get down there in front of me, right? Someone's cutting me off. There's no one here to help me. And so I don't get to experience the benefits of the pool. And Jesus asked him, like, again, look, I'm not offering to throw you in the water. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that... Um, that uh, you know, I can help you in that way. I'm offering you something much different, something much more, which is to be made well, to be made whole. See, he had been paralyzed, we're told in the text, uh, for 38 years, which is not an insignificant number in Jewish history, because 38 years was the time that the, the Hebrews had wandered in the wilderness. So we often talk about the 40 years because, you know, Lent is 40 days and Jesus was in the um, wilderness for 40 days and that marks the 40 years from Egypt to the promised land. But that first two years was the time kind of, 
you know, through the Red Sea and the time at Mount Sinai and the giving of the law and the establishing of the tabernacle and they're making their way to the border. But it's at that point that Israel turns away from, from God's plan. And God says, well, this generation uh, won't go into the land. And so it's 38 years that they wander in the wilderness. And so now we find this man, 38 years, 38 years is a long time. It's a long time, especially to suffer. It's a long, long, long time to be in the condition that this man was in. And yet Jesus comes to him now, after all that time, and offers him something new. Now, you might wonder, what does this passage of Scripture have to do with the passage that Danny read for us, the passage from the epistle, right, from Revelation, which is a part of the series that we've been looking at in this kind of <laughs> resurrection season, this Eastertide. We're still in that um, holiday of, of the Christian calendar. And here's what I think is happening. These types of events uh, show us that we are invited to already live into a resurrection life. Like there is a reality that's not yet completely fulfilled, but that can be partially uh, experienced. That is, is a part of what we are being called into. So this vision at the end of Revelation, I think we need to compare it with the description of creation in the beginning that we see, right? Because we start in a garden. You familiar with that story, all right? Um, in Genesis, there's this Garden of Eden. But it doesn't end in a garden, right? It ends in a city. And that's, that's different. Now, the city has a lot of green space. There seems to be a garden within the city. There's a river of life that runs through it. There's this giant tree of life that spans both sides of the river. The, the leaves of the tree, are told, we're told, are for the healing of the nations, for all the peoples. And all the, the kings of the earth are bringing their goods in. And, and it's this kind of robust and bustling, healthy city that, excuse me, it has, it has its borders. There does seem to be this like preserve that's outside the city that's kind of untouched. But it's part of what I want you to see here is that it's not, um, it's not simply a return to Eden. Like sometimes I think we, we read the original creation story or we think about it or we hear people reference it and we imagine that God created a perfect world with perfect people and that somehow those perfect people in that perfect place messed it up. But that doesn't make a lot of sense really. If it's a perfect place and they're perfect people, then how did, we, how did it ever go wrong? But the, the rabbis used to point this out um, in ancient times, they would say, God said it was good. He didn't say it was perfect. Like when God created, he says, this is good. And the creation that he created was in its um, infancy. It was growing. It had, it had room to expand. It was a garden, but it wasn't yet a city. It was, it was these, the first humans. I mean, think about them. There's all sorts, all sorts of things that they do that we wouldn't do. For example, uh, they had yet to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat from the, t the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you would get what? 
It's not rhetorical. Yeah, thank you, Ed. You, you would get knowledge of good and evil. <laughs> That's a pretty straightforward metaphor, I think. So had you not eaten from a tree of knowledge of good and evil, you would not yet know what is good and what is evil. So, like, who doesn't know right from wrong? That's a, that's a question. We'll come back to that. Amongst the things they also did is they went around naked, right? One of the first things they did after they ate, after they learned good from bad, is they put some clothes on, right? So before they had done that, they're going around naked. Now, who do you know in your lives that go around naked and that don't know right from wrong? Yes, children, the little ones, right? Not the big ones. The big ones know, right? But the little ones, they don't know. They don't know right from wrong. I mean, we still hold them responsible, right? We say, don't touch the stove, don't go out, don't go out in the road, you know, be careful. And if they don't do what we tell them to do, we'll still correct them. Like, we don't leave them to their own choices and say, well, I guess they'll learn, <laughs> Right? Like if you, if there's a bot of, a bot, <laughs> if there is a pot of boiling water on the stove and you have a toddler reaching up there, you don't just sit there and watch and say, I guess she's going to learn her lesson. No, no, no. You intervene. You say, no, no, no. Don't do that. You know, they, you know, learn what no means. So we teach them kind of right from wrong. And of course, when they're real little, they love naked, right? You know, they, they, they don't really care for clothes too much, and they don't really care who knows that they don't care for clothes, right? They're just happy. They're just out there. They've, they've yet to learn. And that's the image that we actually get of the first humans. They don't know right from wrong. They go around naked. Everything's good. Everything's provided for them. Somebody feeds them. Somebody cares for them. But eventually they grow up and they make bad choices and their bad choices have consequences. Like that's how I think we should see that original creation. And God in that, in that story is playing the role of parent, right? God is in a loving kind of caring way responding to their growth, to their new knowledge, to, you know, who they are. And is, is, grow, is helping them, right? Correcting them. So one of the early church fathers, Irenaeus, said just this. He said that the original humans were innocent, um, not perfect, and that they grow. So with all due respect to John Milton, who wrote this beautiful poem called Paradise Lost, and with all due respect to C.S. Lewis, who I have a, a really do love, who wrote this uh, book, uh, Paradise Regained. What John shows us in Revelation, and what I think John tell, is showing us, even in the story of this man by the, the pool, which we'll get back to in just a second, is that the resurrection, the new life, the, the new creation, the new heaven and new earth, is not a return to Eden. It's value added. It's more than. Like, if, if we were just going back to Eden then in, 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 the, in that perfect world, then heaven would be us not knowing right from wrong and we'd all be naked, right? So heaven is not a nudist colony for people who don't know right from wrong, 
you figured you already knew that. You didn't have to come to church today to learn that lesson. However, the way we talk about it sometimes imagines it's just that, right? We're just kind of going back to something other, right? Something that used to be. But no, we're moving forward to something new, something more, something better. So John Wesley would say that the first humans could know God as creator, but we can know God as creator and as savior, as redeemer. We, we know God in ways that they couldn't know, because, or at least initially, um, because we've experienced what it's like to make mistakes and to be forgiven. We've experienced what it's like to, to walk away and be welcomed back. Right? We've, we've come to some new reality. Now, here's the kicker of these stories about what Jesus is doing in the gospel. Sometimes we focus so much on the healings that we miss maybe their point, which is a funny thing to say. How could you focus on them and miss their point? But we do it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give you this piece of information here. Every single person that Jesus healed of a sickness died. It's true. Every single person Jesus healed died. And that includes people that he brought back to life. Like Lazarus wasn't just sick. Lazarus died. And he, and he gets you know, resuscitated. But then Lazarus dies again. <laughs> You've heard of being born again? Lazarus died again. <laughs> like, what in the world does that mean? I mean, it wasn't like Lazarus was raised from the dead and he's just been chilling over there, you know, in Bethany all these years. He's like a couple thousand years old. We're like, man, who's that dude? Oh, that's Lazarus. <laughs> he's just waiting for the Lord to return. So, so if, if every single person that Jesus healed ends up dying, then we can't simply think of healing as just the temporary removal of symptoms or simply the elongation of life. Healing is something more than that. I mean, it, it can involve the removal of symptoms. You know, thank God we don't, we don't want to suffer, right? And it can involve sometimes a, a prolonged life, which is also good. I want to live. But healing is, healing is something more. Healing is, a, is like a preview of what the kingdom life will be like. Like, we, don't, we haven't seen the whole show, but we've seen a bit about what the show is. Like, I, I, one of the things I love about summer is, the, is going to the movies. You know, I love when movies come out in the summer. You know, my school schedule's a little different, and I've got more flexible time, and I like going to the movies. So I'm really looking forward. There are a few films that are coming out here in the next few weeks, and I'm, gonna, I'm making plans already. I'm looking forward to it. And I've watched the previews. Now, back in the day, you had to wait for the preview to come on a commercial, right? You don't have to do that anymore, right? You can pull up your phone or pull up your computer. And I've re I, I cannot tell you how many times some of these new films, I've watched their previews. Like over and over and over and over. I'm like really excited about it. I would tell you what it is, but I would, I'm afraid you'd judge me. <laughs> but, but you know what I'm talking about. You've seen the previews, right? And we get excited about it. We're like, oh, man, this is going to be great. I can't believe it. That's what I think these stories of healing in the Gospels are like. 
They're like previews of what the new heaven and new earth will be. They're previews of the coming of the kingdom of God. Jesus says, here's some good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. And we get to live in it now. Again, I've had this thought in my mind, and I've, I've even said this phrase the last few Sundays. Our death is actually behind us. Our life is in front of us. Like, whatever might harm us, ultimately, has been dealt with on the cross. And God has responded with the resurrection. So that even our physical death is not the end of the story. It's just a change in the chapter. Like, we have life and life and life and life. That's what we have coming toward us. Like the future is life. And the future is better than anything we've ever had before. It's better than Eden. It's better than paradise. It's better than a a nudist colony in a garden that doesn't know right from wrong. It It is God's beautiful city that has the most awesome park in it that is made available for everyone. That is God's work to do what God has promised. And so we hope and we pray and we live into that reality. And there, of course, there are ways in which we can do this very practically. And that involves not just physical things, but also spiritual things. And I think God is calling us to that. He's inviting us to live in that type of reality. So, so much so, for example, God has forgiven us and now has given us, Paul will say, this ministry of reconciliation. So, so God is a forgiver and he calls us too to be forgivers so that we become the agents of God's forgiveness. Like when we forgive people, we are behaving like the Father we are behaving like we already live in the new reality, not the old one. In the new creation, not the old creation. In the new Jerusalem, not the old Jerusalem, right? Not Babylon, but the, the new Jerusalem, the new city, the kingdom of God. We do that through forgiveness. We do that through acts of love and mercy and grace and justice. Like, This is why these things matter to us. Like sometimes you'll hear them in the world and they get um, kind of divided along ideological lines and people want to differentiate and say it's this group or that group. But that's not us. The, The reason that we are opposed to things that hurt people is because we are pro people. Like we're we're against racism and sexism and classism and all those things, not because of some political view. We're against them because they're ills, they're evils that hurt people and are part of an old broken system, not part of a new full system. Loving system. System that the New Testament calls the kingdom of God. So when we, when we think about this future, the future involves our bodies Right? We believe in like a resurrection, a wholeness, 
Like there is this fullness, this healing, this being made whole. But not just our bodies, but our community. A, a social renewal. We call it, again, the kingdom of God. And, and not just our bodies and a social renewal, but also something that actually affects the earth. Like the earth itself is going to benefit from this. Paul talks about this too in Romans 8, that the earth has been waiting, all of creation has been waiting, groaning even, Ugh! <laughs> right, for the day of redemption when all of this would be fulfilled. So it affects our bodies, it affects our society, it affects the very earth that we live on, and it even, it even has this effect on God. That, and again, Paul will say this too, that God will be, that's future, all in all. That the coming of God comes to kind of penetrate and fill and saturate all, this is, this is God coming, it's a visual, I know it's not great, but go with me, right? The coming of God comes and just fills and saturates everything. Now, we are living in a, in a bit of a tension, right? Because on the one hand, Jesus has already come, he's lived, he's died, he's resurrected, he's ascended, he's announced the coming of this kingdom. Yet on the other hand, over here, we're still waiting for that to be completely realized, right? That's not the, that's not the full reality that we're in yet. But <clears throat> sometimes, and it's hard to anticipate when or why or how, in between what started and where we're going, we do experience those previews of what it's going to be like to give us, I think, some hope some encouragement to keep going, right? To, to not give up. And, and that's, that's where we live. I don't, I don't think, I've sometimes heard, um, e even growing up, we would try and live as though <laughs> we, we could completely embrace the fullness of the kingdom now. And we said some pretty um, forward, pretty robust things about it. We talked about the strength and the amount of faith we had and the fact that we could ourselves kind of bring that reality of the kingdom to us. Um, I think that might have been a bit too ambitious. Um, God, God's not a butler, right? Waiting on us to ring the bell to come. <laughs> we, we, mis we, we, we misconceived our role in the story. <laughs> on, on the other hand... And this is funny, because we did both of these growing up. There are sometimes people think, well, there's nothing we can do, right? The world's getting worse, and it's going to get worse, and it's going to get worse and worse. You know, it's going to hell in a handbasket, right? And we're just going to hold on for dear life and pray that we either make it till we die or the Lord comes back, because there's nothing that can be done. But I think somewhere in between those two extremes... Like, we need some apocalyptic savior, and if I have enough faith, I can do it myself. Uh, somewhere between those two extremes, I think, is a really healthy way to live, right? And that is in this sense of the inauguration of the kingdom. It's been inaugurated. It's, it has begun. We are already living in it. 
And we can practice it. Literally, we try to practice it in grace and peace when we turn to one another and say grace and peace, or in sobremesa when we hang out with each other and have a cup of coffee, or when we come to the table and say, you know, you're, this is the body of Christ broken for you, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Your sins are forgiven, right? We're practicing a reality that is still dawning in the world. And that's what I think living the resurrection life, at least now, looks like. We are after Easter. And not, we're not just after Easter like in this calendar year. We're like after Easter in, in the big kind of calendar of the world. And so now's the time to live that way. And so... We pray, we love, we fellowship, we worship, we sing, we read scriptures, we help others. We look into the face of people in need like Jesus looked in the face of this man and offer help. That's, that's our life. That's what we're called to. And I think that's where we're headed. And that's, again, the vision that John gives us in Revelation. A beautiful one. Uh, a preview, not unlike those previews that I watch over and over on my phone. A preview that I read over and over. And I read it because, again, it gives me hope. I read it because I get excited about what that's going to look like when people aren't so divided and so hateful and mean toward one another, right? A time when, when our prayers get answered in ways that are life-giving and fulfilling. I'll leave you with this. It's a line actually from the, from the TV show that we watched. Um, the man who had been healed, we don't know his name either, he didn't know Jesus' name. We don't know his name. The man who had been healed was standing there with his mat. And Peter walked up to him and he goes, why do I need to carry, why do, why do I need to pick up my mat? And Peter said, because you won't be back here. You won't be back here. You won't be back here in this spot. You won't be back in the old creation. You won't be back in the, the way things used to be. Right? Like, whatever our lives is, it's not the same as it had been. And that, my friends, is good news. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.